Welcome to KuzaCast, where we interview some of the most influential people in tourism from around the world. My name is Graham Watson, and I'm the founder of Kuza Global. The word Kuza means a new dawn, and in 2023, we want to find out just how our guests are working towards that new dawn. Join us and subscribe to future episodes as we hope to inspire you with stories of strength and resilience in the tourism industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Kuza Cast. Today, my guest is Cindy Muller, who is the director of Gold Restaurant in Cape Town. How are you doing today, Cindy? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Graham. Looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me. I've been lucky enough to be to uh, have been to Gold many times in the course of of my career, um, hosting groups and and uh, from all over the world. It's always been a great experience, uh, culinary as well as entertainment-wise. Uh, you put on a good show there. So, yeah, I just wanted to have a chat to see how the last three years has has affected you. So, um, <laughs> interesting to hear your your viewpoint. So, the way we generally start on the podcast is just uh, run through, um, yeah, a bit of bit of your career, how you got into how you got into the. Uh, running gold and um, yeah just let everybody know a bit more about uh, who Cindy Muller is. Well I wouldn't have thought that I'd be in tourism to be honest. I think when I started out I just wanted to have restaurants so restaurants was always my passion and um, so I've just had a series of different styles of restaurants from the traditional pizzeria to a steakhouse to a French inspired. Um, So it was really just I suppose my journey through restaurants, which got me introduced to an African restaurant. I was a partner at the Africa Cafe um, for many years. So that introduced me to African cuisine, which was very unfamiliar to me. And then when I met my husband, Jan, we wanted to open up something which was a bit more sophisticated and more tourism-based experience. And that's how we started Gold in 2007. So it was really a love for restaurants. I still love restaurants. And it was also my beginning of my love affair with Africa. That started in the late 90s when I started traveling through Africa and really understanding, getting to know people, getting to taste the different dishes that were prepared for me and that I was preparing with people. And that was a real a real eye-opener and a love affair. And far better than pizzas and pastas, which I didn't really go <laughs> with or to know anything about. I'd never been to Italy. So this actually had more meaning for me. And I think that that's been a bit of my journey is do something which is meaningful. Yeah, I mean, great. It's it's such a, it's a culinary feast, I mean, to, to put it mildly. So just describe for the, the listeners how I mean, so the gold has the the interactive entertainment uh, as well as as well as the 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 food that comes out. What did you got about fourteen different dishes now? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was my wanting to try and give visitors to to Cape Town or South Africa a taste of the African continent. Because, I don't know, Graham, from my perspective, Cape Town's very Western, we're very European, and I never felt that we were even connected to the African continent. It never felt like we were in Africa. Mm. So that is really where the idea was born, is that how do you expose visitors to Cape Town to the African continent in one evening? Mm. So 
doing the the jembe drumming for instance for me the drum is the heartbeat of africa it connects you to the soul of africa and that for me was important we needed to start the evening with the jembe drumming experience let people um play the jembe drum feel a bit of the rhythm and get connected mm. in the food you know african food is not on everybody's top of mind at all we don't identify we have no identification in terms of what is an african meal what is our national african dish we don't have it mm. there's nothing that connects us to an african menu so doing an a la carte kitchen didn't really make sense because what do you know what to order you don't so it's better just to give people a taste of africa through a different cuisine so you go to kenya you can go to morocco you can go to south africa and that's really where our we called it a safari we called it a taste safari mm. so try as many dishes from as many countries over the course of your evening and hopefully you've learned a bit about about some of those countries and that was how we put the african continent on the plate and then our entertainment is also a combination of north africa with the malian puppets those puppets are in mali they're used for all celebrations and they are the bridge between the living and the dead so you're always remembering your ancestors when you are celebrating mm. so your ancestors are included in celebrations lovely and that was what i wanted to use for the entertainment because a they are unique you don't see them outside of mali second they silent puppets they they just have personalities so they dance and interact with people but it is a way of remembering all our ancestors and then we use congolese drummers so we have central african rhythm with our performers who are from south africa singing songs dancing but they dance to to central african rhythm yeah it's kind of how we are connecting the continent no i mean it's it's as i say it's a lovely a lovely experience and and you've also got an enhanced experience that you do with with spices can you just uh, walk, oh, walk us through that mm, yeah yeah my new favorite <laughs> is <laughs> so the spice experience was you know gold grew quite quickly from 150 seater to 200 and now we sort of at 450 and i wanted to i suppose it was also part of my journey wanting to have more intimate experiences when i travel and something that is unique and when i travel part of the reason i travel is to learn you learn about your the country that you're visiting their culture their food um and the history so I think it was after my visit to Zanzibar in 2019 2018 I went back in 2019 and I learned about the spices and and the spice roots specifically um slave trade colonialization and just chatting to people about how that influenced their food perhaps and when you travel in Africa you go to Morocco and there's just French and you go to Mozambique and there's a lot of of uh, portuguese you go to namibia you still got left over german influence so all the countries that i've visited throughout the years you identify the colonial backdrop to that country through the food as well as the history 
So, and I'm, I love history. So part of me wanted to explain to our clients, Africa is the most incredible continent, but we have a leftover of colonialization in our food, in our culture, in our people, in our borders. And how did this come about and why? And really, it just goes back to the spice route and the discovery of the route around the Cape. And sort of that was the first globalization, really, yeah. of the world. So I, I wanted to put this in a very intimate and curated evening and also keep the focus, the focus on food. So I developed what I call the spice experience, and we talk about exactly that, sort of how they discovered the route around the Cape, how that led to this huge mass globalization of the new worlds, and how that has affected Africa specifically in our culture, our food, our borders. And during the evening, we introduced certain um, food items with used where we use the spices, we try and identify the spices, and then talk about the spice. So a lot of spices got very interesting history, it's got very interesting stories. Um, and it's just, yeah, for me, it's a very moving evening because it's a very intimate evening. And after we've tasted all our spices, identified the spices, talked about the spices, had the history lesson, we then go and visit the chefs in the kitchen. And we teach our guests how to how, how we make our dry spice masala mix, mixes. And then we talk about how you can apply that in food, how you can use it. And then they get introduced to all the chefs and they have the most wonderful time in the kitchen with the chefs. Yeah. And then they come back to their table and have the wonderful feast, which we make up with all different spice mixtures from Africa mm. as well. So it's a, it's a very spice um, uh, infused evening, but there's a lot of history that goes with it and interesting stories around spice. Yeah, I know. It really sounds amazing. I worked on a ship around the Indian Ocean and I, not, not so much spices, but I've been to Zanzibar many times, but uh, I, I've fallen in love with um, essential oils like ylang ylang and uh, lemongrass. And yeah, so I always try and surround myself with ylang ylang and lemongrass because that's just all over the, the Indian Ocean. Um, so how did you, when when you first started opening after COVID, what what protocols did you put in place uh, or did you just choose to wait, wait it out until it wouldn't in, impact on the guests too much? Um, we had all the, the legal protocols in place. I was, I was incredibly anxious, funnily enough. And I'm, not a, I'm not an anxious person by, you know, by nature, but I kept having recurring nightmares about waking up um, or, or my nightmare was in the restaurant and realizing that nobody's got a mask on yeah. and this terror that we were serving people and there was no masks protocols. And so I was a little bit over the top with our protocols, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and everything was just sanitized and re-sanitized and like our drums, those are, you know, it's such a touch point. So they were sanitized twice and then we sanitized everybody's hands after it. It was just ghastly. Mm. And that it took me a while to get over my obsession yeah. with wanting to keep everybody safe mm. and healthy. And uh, we had very strict 
protocols in our kitchen, but we've got a very small kitchen. So it was almost impossible. And we couldn't keep distance in the kitchen. That Mm. was really impossible. But we had double masks on our kitchen staff and any sign of a little cough so they'd be sent home. (laughs) So I was I was very anxious. I was a bit paranoid in the beginning. But you know, we were only allowed 50 people at one stage, I think. Yes. Um, And in venue we can accommodate 350 so 50 people we could space them out with a kilometer between our tables so you know that that part didn't really bother me we had special filters put in our our air conditioning units um same that you have on a plane so we kind of just went completely to the extreme but that's the way i think i do everything yeah um it was difficult it was difficult mentally yeah. opening and i think that the first reopening in 21 when we had you know we just started trading again sort of october november and we were just starting to get year in function bookings and it was really getting exciting mm. then 26th of november was omicron yeah oh my gosh and we all remember that that was and i was just in fact building the spice experience dining room because I, I built a special room to do these very intimate um dinners in yeah. and i was just busy finishing doing the the decor and, and i had no money i had absolutely no money left and i was taking things from other dining rooms and where i was finding it at home and friends house sister's house <laughs> I grabbed, and i was using these to decorate the dining room and then we got the news and then the cancellations came through and I just remember sitting in that dining room weeping because I just didn't think that I could pick myself up again after that. Yeah, I mean... That was my low point during COVID, to be honest. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's... Yeah, for most of us, it was all the hope and um, we thought everything was back to normal. My my niece yeah. was actually yeah. in the air from London to to go to Durban via Dubai. And when they announced the red list... And she went, and her boyfriend turned back in uh, in Dubai because, of course, they hadn't any clue how long that red list would would last. Um, and you know, she had to be at work, and so, I mean, how? I mean, there's so many many stories, and yeah, on that 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 Omicron and that, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible times. And like, like I said to you before we started recording, it's it's almost with tentative. Uh, optimism and, and 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 positivity that that we go forward because we we so um, accustomed to being let down yeah. um, that Absolutely. that uh, it almost feels the normality that we knew in 2019 almost feels surreal now. It's like, is this really happening? You know, you, you you've luckily said that how how lovely and busy you are, and and it's you it's almost like you can't exhale just yet. You know, you, you, it's it's that it's that feeling of. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's certainly. I mean, in 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 all the interviews that I've done over the past few weeks, the the whole um, yeah, it, it's the mental health issues have have come through for a lot of a lot of people, and and the the hangover of that is still around. You know, I think it's and that, but that's the beauty of the tourism industry. I think we all we all help each other, especially those of us with um, with businesses of our own. We, yeah, we just we we you know feed feed off each other in, in in the in the value chain of of tourism, and we just try and help each other. You know, my favorite saying is the the rising tide raises all the ships, and that's what I think the tourism industry is. You know, it's um, very much so. as very much so. as as our friend Tom Cruise told the whole world the other day about Ubuntu. That's that's what what it is. Yeah, um, yeah. So 
your um your kind of day to day i mean you live out in franchuk the restaurants in cape town how i mean just run through a day in the life of of cindy muller how what do you use in terms of staying productive are you a, a digital or a paper person Mm. I'm actually a bit of both. Um, I prefer paper yeah. uh, because it's the time to think. I'm a very fast typer. So okay. I did a typing class when I was about 15 or 16 years old. So I typed like fury. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, my average day is I, I'm also obsessive about attention to detail. So every single email that arrives in gold inbox, and we have a few, um, and every email that gets sent out, I read. Yeah. And if there's a mistake on one of my staff's emails, I address it with them. And if I think that they could have phrased something better, I let them know. And then, so my email inbox for January was 8,500 emails. Sure. My, my inbox, I read every single email. So I get up quite early in the morning and the first thing I do is check all the emails yeah. that have come through in the evening and respond to emails from there, so I'm, and I, and I also have another rule in the restaurant that every email has to be responded to within 24 hours. We don't allow anything longer than that. Even if you are trying to work out a very complicated quote, you just get back to your client and say, "I'm busy with it," and you'll have it tomorrow morning. Mm. So I, I think because I'm an impatient person, I expect that from suppliers, and I want to give that to our clients that you have a very quick turnaround for your for your bookings. Um, and yeah, I mean, dealing with the numbers that we're dealing. We are getting a lot of bookings. We rely on a booking service called Dine Plan to do our um, everyday bookings. But then our DMCs that are planning events, special evenings, I mean, they take care and attention and and we try and give them that. So that's a lot of detail that goes into all our quotes. Um, then I work probably three or four nights a week and I'm doing quite a few spice dinners. So I like to do the spice dinners myself. And so I'll go in for that. So I leave here at about 11 because the other thing about Cindy Mala is I hate traffic. <laughs> My absolute nightmare. And I think that's why I opened up a restaurant so you don't ever have to be sort of like yeah. in traffic. Um, so then I, then I spend the rest of the afternoon and the evening at the restaurant. And then most nights I will drive back. Um, it's a 45, well, I shouldn't say that. My husband might hear. It's an hour from <laughs> And so I get you, and, and I think the hour in the car is time that I actually enjoy spending because it mm. gives me some time out from my own brain sometimes yeah. to listen to a podcast, listen to music, talk to myself, phone a friend. So I actually like that time in the car. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm going back to the restaurant Wednesday, and then I have a small apartment in Greenpoint, and I'll stay over Wednesday night, work Thursday, Thursday night hopefully out on Friday again to do front shock. Yeah. So my average, I mean, I work seven days a week. I am on my emails constantly. Um, and WhatsApp is another fantastic tool that we use. We've got different WhatsApp groups mm. and that works very nice. It's a, it's a fast turnaround as well for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep in communication. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's interesting how we're all, uh, Locked, locked to the to the screens, and that that's why I almost feel bad when everyone goes on about uh, 
you know, kids and screen time because I'm going to be like, well, you know, adults are on screens a hell of a lot. So we can't we can't be hypocrites, you know, but uh, I suppose there's some ground rules we have to lay down for the kids, I suppose. We working. Yes. Yeah. We're yeah. Working. We, we, we working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We working. Yeah. Um, the uh, I mean, the, the last three years, uh, as as we said, you know, we're coming up to all the anniversaries now. Um, in terms of the industry, I mean, we touched on it briefly earlier. The the tourism industry as a whole, what I mean, what do you, what has it taught you about your 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 colleagues and friends in, in the industry, and just as an entity, the tourism industry? It's I think it's proven to be very very positive. What we've learned, I agree with you. I think that it's an industry which does support. We support one another. We've got good champions mm. that that who who really raised their heads during this time and fought for our industry. I think of Liam Tomlin, who just you know just fought for the rights of restaurants mm. and waiters and you know people like that. I really do admire and it, it, there's a solidarity within tourism and within restaurants. And, you know, helping one another out, sending bookings to other restaurants if we couldn't accommodate, supporting. Uh, yeah, it's been a, an interesting period to watch how – I hate we're using the word resilient. I'm yeah, so tired yeah. of being resilient. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sick of it. I actually just don't want to be resilient anymore. Yeah. I just want to be you, you just want to enjoy yeah, instead of being resilient, yeah. yeah. Just, you know, help one another. But I think that, you know, the tourism industry is – is a phenomenal industry within itself. Mm. Imagine if we were selling air conditioning or something. Just beautiful people and entrepreneurial people and people who are slightly um, not the norm. I found we just, we are slightly... Slightly quirky. Yes, off-center. And I think that's what I love about it. And tourism is made up of a bunch of entrepreneurs and that's what makes us interesting. So I've learned, I've learned a lot. And I think at the end of the day, I, I've learned to trust more. I've seen how trust has seen us through um, this adversity. We've trusted, we, we, we've trusted that our suppliers would pay us. My suppliers have trusted that I've refunded all the deposits Mm. Um, and going forward, there's, there's, for me, there's a stronger bond and a stronger trust. Yeah. Certainly from, in my opinion, that's how it's, it's made me feel. And we certainly feel like we've been through this together mm. and we are glued together with this trust and a little bit of hope. Yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent. That's exactly the way I feel. And, you know, I've I've seen. I mean, I've noticed it too, and I have seen a few other posts come through um, in terms of people forgetting the humility that they that they needed, um, and the, and that that kind of um, not I wouldn't say arrogance, but that kind of um, yeah you know, f- forgetfulness of of that we were all in this together, and um, and now, as I say, the the perhaps the that 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 spirit is is waning a bit. Um, in terms of just being a bit more, as you say, trustful and understanding. Um, I don't think we should lose that spirit. Um, 
as we all try and get back on our feet. Very much, we are all still in the recovery phase. I think it's going to take a few more months, if not a year or two, for everybody to kind of um, get get back and pay back the debt and everything like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think we we've still got a bit uh, a bit of way to go together, and and we we that spirit of camaraderie and and trust and and helpfulness, I think, should still we still still need to to remember it. And it is interesting because I'm not the only body that's noticed a few, a few uh, a bad bad apples creeping back in. But uh, you know, I think it's it's par for the course, I suppose. Um, I I think that we're going to be you know this period in in our history is always going to be remembered. Yeah. And for me, I I wanted to be remembered for taking care of my staff. Yeah. That for me was was priority number one. Yeah. Yeah. Once I had taken care of all my supplies and refunded all deposits, no questions asked, I wanted to take care of my staff. That was priority number one for me. Yeah. And I think that history will judge us at the end of the day as to how we how we coped and how we looked after people. I think people will insist on it because um, you know, businesses such as yourself who made such a conscious effort um will choose to work with other businesses that did the same i'm sure and you'll actively seek uh i know a lot of people that that are that are doing that they're, they're seeking to work with people based on how the the st- staff were treated in times of trouble and um yeah so i think it's a it's a great uh a great yeah i mean i just i just think there's so many so much good that's come out of it i think that there are still a lot of people that um are still struggling and we, we can't forget that. But um, I think when, when we, when we eventually look back and exhale uh, and look back, then um, I think we'll, we'll realize that uh, I hate the saying everything happens for a reason or whatever, but uh, you know, I think maybe, maybe we'll look back and and see that. Um, How, I mean, how did you, when it came to opening with, with limited numbers, I mean, surely at 50, there came. There would have come a time where it's almost costing you to to open rather than making a profit. How how did how did restaurants cope with that balance? So for us, it was more challenging because we have a whole show, and that yeah. costs us a lot of money to put on. And we we did it when we had ten people. Yeah. So I think for me, it was it was a decision that I made that we would open irrespective because I wanted to start employing staff and I wanted them to start feeling useful again. And it was important to almost get rid of the, the, the rust and the dust yeah. and start using our space and start living in the space. So we really, you know, even though we, there was, remember, we couldn't serve alcohol. We had to close oh, by eight. Yeah, 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 we yeah. 30 people. And it was difficult. And I just wanted to do it so that we could start working again and start bringing in some teams so we divided our staff into i think in the initial period was three three teams mm. so that we could employ somebody for three days and then three days and then three days at least they had something to do um, and it didn't matter that we only had 10 people we just went all out and made it an amazing experience but i think we were sort of averaging 20 30 people when we reopened again mm. and then not saying alcohol was was tough yeah but, you know we wonderful fresh cocktails and mm. we tried to do something else we didn't do anything skill under the table because i'm yeah. not prepared to 
my license for that. Yeah. Um, so there weren't, weren't any interesting teapots on your table or anything? <laughs> no, no, no. I just, you know, I was just, I was concerned that, you know, we were, we were a high-profile restaurant yeah. and that somebody would check or somebody would, would say something and it's not worth it. Of course. It's really not No, no, no. Well, money doesn't drive me, you know, so yeah. it's not worth it. But it was, it was difficult and it cost us more money to stay open. Yeah. But at least I think we were able to provide an interest from our staff. And we weren't as rusty as a lot of other restaurants that took a long time to open. (laughs) So we'd kind of walked it. And I think you've got to have your, I mean, we just had breakages and breakages and breakages. Our fridges were collapsing, Mm. our walk-in fridge, just because everything had been off for so long. Mm. And having the place sanitized every day was you know, it took two staff members to do that the whole day and then two staff du- members on duty at night to sanitize every railing every time somebody walked past because, you know, I got obsessed. So yeah. we, we could employ people, but it certainly wasn't making any money, no. Yeah, yeah. No. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the first time I came was at the SATSA conference last year, so that was April. How how long were you completely dark for from from shutting to the first guest again? Most of um, 2020, yeah. I think. I don't even remember anymore. Yeah. Uh, most of 2020, we were we were closed, um, and then 21, open close, open close. Mm. You know, there were days we had no bookings, so we yeah disclosed it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you know, this is uh, what what uh, what has the last three years taught you about yourself? What uh, taught me a lot about myself. What, what what have you learned about yourself that you didn't realize? I think I think it taught me that I'm stronger than I thought mm. because reopening was a lot harder than opening up all 10 previous restaurants that I've had. Mm. It was really tough. It was really tough making those decisions when and how and who. Mm. But I think it has taught me that I'm, that I'm pretty strong and that I love doing what I do. Mm. Because you have to have loved it. It yeah. wasn't only a financial, I have to do this to repay all the yes. loans that have fallen out. It was really because I love doing it. Yeah. And and the huge responsibility to I ha- that I have to my staff and their families. You know, I couldn't, failure or not opening was just not an option mm. at all. Mm. Not for a second. Yeah. You know, because we're going to open and we're going to open properly and we'll do it as best we can um and yeah it was it was a tough time but i think it teaches you that people are more important mm. than business money yeah and you you look after your people and you look after yourself but it also taught me that i like to spend time at home actually for the first time in 60 years i like yeah happy. yeah <laughs> um, and it taught me that family time is important because in 2020 I spent time with my family, which I hadn't done for many years. Yeah. So those were my lessons, um, my personal lessons. And from the business, it was just take time to breathe, take time to breathe and enjoy, enjoy life while you're trying to survive. Yeah. No, I mean, that's exactly, I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, everyone got caught in the, the rat race of of life, and as you say, I mean the the a business. Um, if you're not a, a selfish person, a business is to create employment and and um, yeah, I mean and and 
to to have. I mean, you, you've got staff, but they all have sort of five people or whatever that that depend on them. So a business is, um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's more about helping everybody on the journey through life. I would say than 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 profit, profit, profit. You need the profit to pay the salary, but uh, yeah, for me, it's it's how is the people? How are the people um, in the business? enjoying enjoying being in the business you know and then that's yeah and how they're living i think that i feel certainly a huge responsibility as an employer that i need to look after my staff i want to look after my staff mm. i want them to have decent homes i want them to have a decent life i mm. want them to be able to afford the things that they want to afford yeah i want to help them attain their dreams as well. And if their dreams mean that it's somewhere else at another venue, another restaurant, another country, then so be it. Mm. But give them as much as I possibly can Mm. to enable them to have wonderful lives because right now they are providing me with a wonderful life. They are providing me with a service which I would not want to be doing as waitressing and carrying all those heavy trays around every night. I wouldn't want to be cooking in the kitchen six nights a week at the pressure that they do. Mm. And, you know, anything that we've managed to accomplish over the last 16 years has been on the back of our workers. And I, I'm a bit of a communist like that. I like to Yeah, share, share, yeah. <laughs> Also shared. I mean, they have a ten percent profit included, um, and with the, from the restaurant side, we include a ten percent profit to our staff, and they share in that. Great. So, I, you know, we do as much as we can, but I do feel a moral, and um, it's a big responsibility that I feel personally towards yeah. our staff. Yeah, it's. I must say, as my business grows and the the sort of ideas in my mind coming through of of. Um, of getting of employing it's it's quite a scary thing because the the scary thing is not anything else but the responsibility that i would feel to that person to to um yeah as, as you say to to give them a, a decent life and if they've entrusted you with um with you know providing them with a sort of sustenance of 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 a of a of a, of a salary then you need to make sure that you're doing everything you can to 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 provide them with that yeah. yeah, I think that it's the first time, I mean, I've, this is my 10th restaurant, but it's the first time that I'm running a restaurant with the input of all the staff. So decisions are made with the staff. Mm. If I'm wanting to change anything or introduce anything, I chat to them first. So it's quite inclusive. So everybody's on board. Mm. Everybody's on board with any changes that we're going to make. Mm. When I travel, I spend the first two evenings Telling the staff what I've experienced. So sharing that journey with them. Mm. So if I make a decision or if I have an idea in my mind and this is what I want to do, it gets discussed first. And a lot of input from the staff is really valuable because I might never have traveled. I haven't been to Cameroon, for instance. I've never been to Cameroon. Mm. So I sit with my Cameroon staff and say, okay, I really, really want to put additional Cameroon on the menu. I've never traveled there. What do you suggest? Let's make it. Let's see if we can... Mm get it right, how are we going to make 400 of these portions? Um, so it is a very inclusive restaurant already. Mm. All my previous restaurants, I said, this is the menu, this is how we're going to do it, yeah. train, make it, thank you very much. Yeah. This is far more inclusive, and it's very much more the African way of doing things. Mm. You, it's not, And in Africa, it's not a consensus doesn't mean 51%. Consensus means 100%. Mm. 
everybody has to agree to it. Yeah. And it's a longer way around things. It, it really does take a long time. Um, but it does mean that once something has been changed, everybody's approved it. Mm. Everybody's on board. Yeah. And then it's a pleasure from there. It, but it does take a while. Have you been to Burundi? No. Well, um, we're, my partner in Uganda, Pinnacle Africa, we, they, uh, they, um, they do, yeah, they do ground handling in Burundi. So if you want to head off, give me a shout. I'm actually launching Burundi in the, in the UK. Okay. We're doing some training. Okay. Um, business. yeah, yeah, we're doing some training. So if you want to head off, we've, yeah, we can, uh, help you tick another, um, one off the list. Lake Tanganyika. Yeah, yeah. No, no, keep, keep, okay. keep me in mind because, um, yeah, Burundi, it looks like a fascinating country. Hopefully, I'm going to get there soon. Yes. And um, so my partner, Pinnacle Africa, they do uh, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and, and Congo as well. Congo. Yeah. yeah, we're going to Congo this year. Oh, well, lovely. Yeah, haven't been before. So Congo, and I've got my staff member from Burundi. So we talk a lot about that during the Spice Experience as well, because Burundi's right next to Lake um, Tanganyika. So a lot of the trading was done yeah. around the Swahili. But anyway, that's part of our spice experience. Yeah, cool. Chats. Well, hopefully we can uh, get you there just to just remember. Um, so, I mean, the only person I know that I think has traveled a lot of through Africa is all Kingsley Holgate. Apparently he's done every single, oh every yes, single no. country. Have you not? Uh, Phenomenal. Yeah. Listen, when Land Rover sponsors me with the Land Rover, I'll do it too. Okay. <laughs> yes, and a few bottles of Jack Daniels. Apparently, that's that's quite a quite a currency. Isn't it rum? Doesn't he do the rum? Uh, yes. Captain Morgan, maybe. I'm not sure. Yes, I think it's Captain Morgan. Yeah, yeah. All, all I know is that there, there was something that was, uh, uh, yeah, cu- currency worth more than dollars. Was uh, just make sure you got a bottle of, of of Captain Morgan or something in the car. Not bad. Yes. Get through any any problems. Um, so it's great to see the tourism re- recovering. I mean, what, what, what are the lasting, what are the lasting things that, that you not just, uh, yeah, I mean, in the restaurant in terms of the protocols, maybe that you're going to keep going forward? Well, I think that, our, you know, we've got a, we've got a massive hygiene policy in place already. I think we're one of the few restaurants that, um, run according to HACCP and we keep food samples every night from every single dish that we make, whether it's for one person who has a specific dietary. Um, so those protocols were already in place pre-COVID, the health and the safety. But I think we're just a little bit more cautious um, in terms of, of touch. We still sanitize all our drums. We sanitize the restaurant during the day before the evening shifts. We're more conscious of somebody feeling not well that they put a mask on or they go home. Um, and that's just that I wouldn't have done pre COVID, to be honest. If you were coughing, I would have still made you work. Mm, but yeah. now you either mask up or you go home. You have the choice. Um, but I think that it's also, it's made us stop and understand that life does and can just come to an end. Mm. And whatever we're doing right now today is valuable and important. And we are more focused on today because today is the only one that's really guaranteed. Yes. So I think my, you know, my take out my learning is even looking ahead when we look at our diary, it's busy, but I'm still not a hundred percent trusting yeah. that they will they will still be arriving at our doorstep. So 
Th- that I don't know how long that will stay with me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's as I say, it's the it's the it's the it's the feeling that we we we've all got is this. Oh my God, is something else going to happen? Or yeah, um, but um, the government going to make a stupid decision because yeah. it's so much out of our hands that you never know. Yeah. And I don't you know. I trust politicians less, which is now becoming into the negative. Yeah. Negative. Yeah, well, I mean, in the UK at the moment, there's there's uh, yeah huge uh, issues happening with with things that uh, were decided during COVID. So that's going to be an interesting um, evolution as well over the next few months as to now that uh, the dust has somewhat settled, to go back and drill down on on those decisions and and look at them and and really uh, yeah interrogate those decisions and um, because. They did affect so many people's lives um, and negatively, um, and they now need to be held accountable. I suppose you know. Um, I think it's taught us all lessons. I mean, it, it, there's definitely lessons that we've learned. Whether or not implementing them is another story, but it certainly has given us time to pause and to think, and I think to be more demanding. And I've noticed that that our visitors are more demanding. You know. Of of us, and we have to really up our our game, everybody, to deliver to this to the new traveller who spent two years at home, who's now desperate to travel, wants to travel, but in fact is wanting more. I think. What Cindy would would you like to see still um, change? What What have you? What's What's the kind of goal? Yeah, I think from a restaurant perspective, I I want restaurants to pay their staff properly. Mm. I want waitering to become a profession and not a stopgap between school and varsity or while I'm looking for a job. Yeah. And I think that it will go a long way to assisting restaurants with proper skilled staff. I, I still have a a burning desire to see this implemented before I leave this industry that mm. We take our staff seriously, we pay them good money, and we treat them with respect. I hate double shifts. I hate split shifts. I think that they are cruel. And I really want to see the industry taking waitering, chefing more seriously and paying the staff better salaries. I'm all for that, really and truly. I, I hate restaurant practices where they deduct money off tips. Mm. Uh, Breakages uh, and, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I just feel that we don't take it seriously enough and we're letting restaurants get away with, with badly paid staff, um, bad working conditions. And I think that there's a lot that we can we can do for that. So maybe one day when I retire from the restaurant, I will put some energy into assisting staff and restaurants to to get their levels, you know, up to where it should be. But I just think that it's never been a career. We've never looked at a waiter as a career. And why shouldn't it be a career? Yeah. Why shouldn't it be taken seriously? Why shouldn't it be respected? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in Europe and, and even America, it's it's it is that you don't just get the the varsity students. Or, yeah, yeah. I remember the first time when I went to Europe and I served by a man who was like fifty five years old. I got the fright of my life. <laughs> you know, it was just something so foreign to me. Yeah, because 
you know, here our waiters were all young and about to go into varsity or at varsity and paying for their varsity studies. So it was just a stopgap. And I think that we need to start changing that and we need to start looking at it more seriously. And for the workers in the kitchen, that's a tough job. That's yeah. a hard job. Yeah, I mean, I, re- I remember um, when I was a, a waiter, we we only got tips. We didn't get a basic wage. and mm-hmm. And then the... I remember going in sometimes and um, if I had a group, the group cancelled, I wouldn't get any money. And then I remember sort of, you know, getting getting changed and getting and waiting for my mates and then being told to go in the kitchen and help. Um, yeah. But I, but I wasn't on a payroll and, and, I, and I'd sort of lost money because I'd paid for petrol to get, it was the most, the weirdest thing ever. And I just hope that there's on, they hope that there aren't any restaurants out there that, um, that yeah, pay, pay people on tips only. It's or not even pay people. I mean, yeah, there's there's a word there's a word for uh, having people work for you and not pay them, <laughs> you know. And you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's what I would like to see going forward. Um, I think two restaurants can play in the tourism industry, and we've certainly proved it. And there are lots of other restaurants that have proved it too. Um. So I think, you know, I was thinking back to Indaba in 2016, 2017, when I applied to go to Indaba in Durban, and I got a letter back saying, sorry, you are not the product that we are looking for. This is Gosh. after I'd launched Gold at Indaba. I'd been to every single Indaba since then, and I just did my normal application. And I just thought, wow, never going back to Indaba, so I haven't. But it just shows that in some mindset, restaurants are not taken seriously within the tourism game, and we should be. Um, but yeah, I just yeah, wouldn't wouldn't want to leave this industry in a hurry. I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah, so good. That- no, well, may, maybe have another word with all in Darba. You might have just had a person who, um, you know, only lasted for two months that got your application. And um, Graham, I'm a little bit more stubborn than that. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's a good trait. The, the chairman of the German Convention Bureau had a meeting with me during in, during Meetings Africa and said, oh, of course you must come. I will speak to them. And I said, nobody speaks on my behalf, but thank you very much. Now I'll never go back. Yeah. So yeah. I have all the other trade shows, you know, yeah. I enjoy them and we welcome to all of them. And yeah, because you, are, you, you did something for WTM Africa last year. Didn't you have the opening party? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, doing it, we're doing their awards evening this year. So we're doing a big 350 evening for WTM and ILTM, and then we're also attending We Are Africa, which I adore. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, with that everybody else recognizes that we're a player in the tourism industry. Yeah. But Shindaba. Oh well, well that's that's quite uh, quite Enough. interesting. Have you got any plans to expand, or you just want to keep the one head office? I mean, the one sort of Cape Town restaurant funny you should ask <laughs> um, <laughs> so in 20 was it 18 2018 i sold half of my business to tourvest oh okay and with the intention of opening up other similar style restaurants in africa yeah oh wow okay so you got you're revisiting that now that COVID so now we are okay we are visiting that again, yeah, and that's exciting for me. That's, I mean, I never wanted another restaurant. I thought ten was enough, and one was big enough. Yeah, and 
But I think that it's it's a product that can be um, that can be expanded into other African countries. Absolutely. I mean, what... you know, I mean Nairobi or yeah. I mean, there's just there's just loads. I mean, you know, maybe even one in Little Burundi that we're starting. Who knows? You know, it's uh, you know, the the tourism. Everyone's looking for that authentic experience. And I was going to say, you know, what about you know, franchising out into Europe or America, but then that's that that'll take away from the authenticity of being on the continent. You lose the meaning. And for me, the older I get, the more I understand that something has to have meaning. If you're going yeah. to do it, it has to have meaning. And there has to be a reason behind it. Mm. So I'm really becoming more and more focused on just that. Yeah. Why is it there? What what place does it hold? And what's the story behind it? Mm. So I think I'm becoming more of a storyteller than a restauranteur. Yeah. A restauranteur with stories, I think. And that, that only comes with age and experience and, and lots of travel and lots of talking. So those are the things that I would like to do in the future. It's more about um, the history, the story, and the meaning behind it. So any restaurant that I do in the future, I can only connect if it has that background to it, if it has a story, if it has history, and if it has meaning. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, so, that's that's great. So I've always um, been interested in, in restaurants. So maybe maybe one is on the cards for me one day. My my daughter's name is Charlotte, and I've always told her that one day we might have Carlotta's Trattoria um little italian <laughs> restaurant and we i've even done like the menu and so yeah we, we just need to get everything else done the ideas are there um i think everybody's a frustrated restaurant here yeah, we're all restaurant critics these days i yeah. mean everybody's a restaurant critic and we have to take it on the chin and i often wonder where people have what their their reason is for complaining about something that they know very little about but yeah. that's Nature, I suppose. But yeah, everybody wants to be a restauranteur. And when people ask me, um, you know, my husband loves to cook and I love people and I'm going to open up a restaurant, I say, why? Yeah. Why do you want to give up your entire life? Because that's what you need to do. Yeah. Always understand that a restaurant only operates during everybody else's downtime. Mm, true. Yeah. You are working. You are working when everybody else is having fun. Yeah. yeah. That's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used to. Uh, I spent a lot of many years in the entertainment industry, and that was the same thing. You'd start work at eight o'clock at night, and uh, or seven o'clock at night, whatever it was, and then you finish at twelve, and then be on a you know be be on a high, and uh, you know it would be like two o'clock in the afternoon for you, but it's actually midnight, and can't go to sleep. So yeah, and then uh, yeah, working working evenings are are um, very very interesting. I think it's it's you know it's everybody's. Well, it's many people's dream to yeah. have a coffee shop, a little trattoria, and I understand it. Um, for me, it was the the mechanism of restaurants that, that I fell in love with. I love the front of house. I'm not a chef. Yeah. I mean, I love food, but I'm not a chef. But it was about the whole being in a restaurant for me was romantic. It was mm. fabulous. It was addictive. Mm. And so for me, it was part of my blood, part of my life. I, I, and I still love it. Mm. I mean, I've been forty-four years, forty-three years, and I still love it. Yeah. But it's become different in the way that I want to do it. Mm. It's 
really has changed over the last couple of years. Um, and maybe that just comes with the privilege of being able to to do something which I really want to do. That's a privilege. Yeah. You know, it's, it's different to to people that say, I've, I've got to find something to do and I can do a restaurant because you don't need any qualifications to open a restaurant. You mm. don't need any specific skill set. Nobody asks if you've got any qualifications. Anybody yeah. can open it. Yeah. Quite right. Yeah. I think that now, I've, yeah, my, my, my focus has changed quite a bit. It's uh, great, great to be able to chat with you, and I, I you know, it's. Uh, I'm really enjoying the the podcasts. Um, we we're getting we're getting uh, listeners from all over the world, uh, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, really enjoying talking to business owners such as yourself and learning, learning and and feeling, um, you know, feeling that that we're all still all a part of of the industry and and the recovery. You know, I don't think uh, anybody's sitting there and and um not not affected by it at all you know um so how how can the uh, listeners get in touch what what's the website address goldrestaurant.coza goldrestaurant goldrestaurant.co.za perfect and you can book uh, book on the website yeah there's a dine plan button that saved our lives a lot <laughs> that's my technology done and dusted so yeah, you can book on the website, have a look at the the menu, see what we're offering. I'm busy working on our new autumn menu, so I need to yeah. it first again. And then for any international guest listing, please go uh, when you book your trip to South Africa. Please um, ask your travel agent to include Gold Restaurant in the itinerary. It's it'll be a fantastic experience. Uh, you get fetched from the hotel about six o'clock. Um, and then you back, what, about 10 or so? Yeah, about 10, or depends on how long it takes you to finish dancing <laughs> in the evening. Yeah. No, no, it's a, it's a lovely experience, and I highly recommend it for, for any listeners. So uh, let's uh, let's hope that those tour buses and those those taxis bringing the, the couples and the families keep on, keep on uh, arriving at the door at Gold Restaurant. Cindy, thanks again. Thank you, Graham. It's been lovely to chat to you, lovely to see you, and um, I'll see you when you visit Cape Town again. Yes, I'll be there in the next few weeks, I'm hoping. So thanks, Cindy. Thanks a lot, and see you soon. Thank you so much, Graham. All the best. Take care. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in to KuzaCast, where we explore the world of tourism with leaders from all corners of the globe. Join me, Graham Watson, for future episodes as we dive into the latest trends and insights from the industry. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you next time on KuzaCast.